Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. This is the second part of a conversation that I had with Chris Carey and Mike of the Deep Cover Podcast, a roundtable conversation about race. If you missed the first one, you can catch that you know, at your favorite um, place to download the Matt Waldman RSP Cast. Um, but uh, this week, we cover a variety of things, including some of the, the the dynamics about racism that that create hurdles for us to be able to have conversations about it, um, as well as some things that you can look at in advance and understand that if you prepare yourself emotionally for what could occur or how you might start to feel that you can avoid some of these hurdles so that you can have more productive conversations. Um, and we... You know, we talk also about some regional stereotypes in regards to racism and why they're inaccurate. And, you know, also just some anecdotal experiences that underscore some of the topics that I just mentioned. So hopefully you'll um, find this conversation worthwhile. Um, and I appreciate you listening. And we'll get right at it. Kerry, Chris, I mean, where would you guys like this conversation to go or continue talking about? Is there anything that you guys feel like that you'd like to share or talk about or, or just pose to us as a group or anything that's been said that you want to follow up on? or Just what Mike said about how you're just treated differently just by how you look. Like, I told these guys, I told Mike and Kerry, a few weeks ago, I went into a store. I ordered a sandwich online, and I go into the store, and the guy asked me for ID for the sandwich. I'm looking around. I'm like, there's this white lady there. I said, did he ask you for an ID for your sandwich? She looked at me. She was like, no. And then I was like, so your guys are sexist or racist? Which one? The guy, I was in there for like 10 minutes trying to get my sandwich from this guy. And eventually I just told him, I said, look, either I'm going to go behind the counter and get it myself, or you're just going to give it to me. I'm like, who's going to come in here and know my exact order and try to steal a sandwich? Like, I'm like, just give it to me. Like, and eventually he gave it to me. But when I'm walking back home, I'm like, this dude really tried to hold my sandwich from me. <laughs> and I have my ID. But why but would you need to give it? That's not the point. Yeah. I've been ordering sandwiches my whole life. I'm 32 <laughs> years old. You're new to the sandwich ordering game. You've been around. <laughs> like, come on, does this sandwich have alcohol in it? Like, why do I need my ID? And like, I just, I couldn't believe it. And it was, it wasn't even. And the thing is, it wasn't even a white guy. It was, it was um, someone of Middle Eastern descent. And I'm just like, damn, man. Like, I know you go through it. You know, like, why are you doing, like, why are you doing that to me? You know, and it, it was just, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's something you got to get used to, definitely. Um, there's no way around it. It's going to happen uh, where you get that, where you see the person in front of you, like Mike said, they'll get the change in their hand. And then when you go next, they throw the change on the little conveyor belt thing. And you got to go scrape it up and get it and, you know, it's, it's not the same, and you get that different treatment. Carrie, anything you want to add or talk about? 
Yeah, I know, I know for me, it's just people just need to start using their uh, reasoning skills and just start thinking a little bit more before they react. You know, the whole situation with the Capitol, um, I, I tweeted just vaguely, not surprised. And I saw Mike like it and I saw Matt like the tweet. And it was kind of like, okay, the real know what's up. Like, we, we understand what's going on. We understand why that's not surprising. But there's just so many people that are just so flabbergasted by the the mere thought of something like that happening. And it's like, where have you been? <laughs> like, how are you not paying attention? <laughs> like, I, I just don't understand how, you know, you see these kind of um, actions go on and, you know, you see them get gaslit and you, I, I mean, let's just be honest. There's a couple of things that um, that people in power, people that are, um, you know, entitled don't like. They don't like to be told what to do uh, and they don't like anything disrupting their bottom line. If you mess with either of those two things, you're going to see reactions and actions like we saw at the Capitol. I mean, I mean, th there's really just no other way around it. So uh, for me, for people to be shot by that is is just it's just mind blowing to me. I, I, that was not something that was and, and it's not me being uh, hyperbolic at all when I say this. It just it wasn't surprising at all to me. And I think if people just opened their eyes and just really like paid attention to some of the stuff that's said and done, then when these things happen, people wouldn't be. Um, as shocked as they, you know, made themselves out to be that day. Uh, it's like the Dave Chappelle line, right? It's always funny until it happens to you. You know, that's what it yeah. comes yeah. down to. Yeah. Is that, you know, there there's probably more than 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 two buckets, but I, I kind of look at it this way: like there's there's a bucket of people who really aren't aware. Like it's just it's it's true ignorance. Like I just have no awareness that this this kind of thing is, is possible, is even going on. And there can be a lot of reasons for why they're in that bucket. And then there's the other one, which I think is the bigger one that I think more the majority of people are in is they're aware of it, but it doesn't happen to them. And so it's just not as real. Yeah. You know, it's just not as real until it happens to you. And then you're just like, oh shit, these people really are crazy. And they really <laughs> will hurt anybody, even if they look like me. They don't care. Like my whiteness is not gonna is not gonna be the advantage that it is everywhere else in that situation, because this isn't about that in that moment for them. <laughs> you know, they they're on some they're on some whole other shit. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so it's not even about you're thinking, man. Uh, who was that? it? Was a guy right? It was a, a, D, a DC, I think, metropolitan cop uh, who got there were a couple of them who got attacked, and this guy got attacked and got knocked down. And they actually pulled his gun out and they were like, shoot him with his own gun, right? And they caught him on the ground. And he says at that point, you know, he, he's, he's got nothing else to turn to, but just to try, you know, to, to hope somebody will, will listen to like, you know, just, um, you know, be sympathetic. So he says, I got a wife, I've got kids, you know, he's just yelling this stuff out. And then some people do kind of come and help him and get him up off his feet and kind of usher him out and get him out. And so he's being interviewed. So this is days after that's happened. He's being interviewed. And they're they like, so what would you say to those people who helped get you out of there? He was like, well, I've had some time to think about it. And I think I come to this. Uh, first off, for getting me out of there and, and probably saving my life. Thank you. 
But for you being there in the first place, fuck you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was telling, I was telling uh, a friend of ours whose name I will mention, Carrie Crystal and Denard, I told Denard, I said, isn't that a microcosm of America? That phrase right there, thank you, but fuck you, right? So I said, think about thank you for having all of these grand ideas, these grand notions about equality and opportunity and freedom. But you know what? Fuck you for it not being true for everybody. Thank you for allowing me to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal. Fuck you for not allowing me to sit at the lunch counter and I feel like I need to throw my gold medal in the river because it doesn't mean shit. Or thank yeah. you for going you go. fighting in World <laughs> War II, you know, and risking your ass, but fuck you that I can't even have equal rights in this country and being harassed, you know, when I come back and not even treated like with the same respect as other veterans. You know? He captured it right yeah, there yeah. in that one line. I was like, man, he got it. That's yeah, the yeah. it right there. Yeah. Thank you for paying me. Thank you for paying me millions of dollars in a league where I can be a quarterback in the NFL. Fuck you that I can't take a knee after I've consulted with. It doesn't even matter who I consulted with. That I took a knee because of what's going on and the and the fan base was damn near ready to like abandon the NFL or at least a big portion of it and throw their arms up in the air and then look at what we have now a double fuck you now when we look at the capital and what all that went down you yeah, know went now, down there now the double and maybe the triple fuck you was like well now we can make money off yeah so it's all good now <laughs> that's, the, that's the craziest part of all of this is not only did they do a complete 180 on it but they've monetized it and yeah. made it, you know, made, made themselves look like, you know, we're on the right side of this thing now. We should be given, you know, some sort of recognition for, for coming around and really listening to our players and supporting their causes. And I'm like, you know what? This is the big word. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's hard for people, you know, it's, it's so deep rooted. It's so, it's so deep rooted because if you're, if you live, if you live in white America, to me, how I would define white American, please tell me if you would disagree or would add something different. But at least the way I grew up in white America, which was if we have black people in our neighborhood, they we had a few black people who lived in our neighborhood. The rest were bused to our school, you know. And so then you have you learn assumptions based on that. Um, and I'm talking about people in their 40s, 50s and 60s because I'm 50 and I'm, I think I can speak for that give or take 10 years in that range of what was going on. And it's just like you learn, you have some black teachers, you have some, you have black classmates, but you don't really, you live in a white, mostly white community and living in a mostly white community, you don't, you don't have an, you have things reinforced to you that are just wrong or ignorant. You just don't, don't even understand and like the level of history that's taught, you know, in this country. And you think about that and it's like, I've heard people tell me that in certain parts of their, in certain states that they lived in, that they were just taught that slaves were on the same level as indentured servants who were able to be freed, you know, which is like so far from the truth, it's insane. But that's what they, they had in some of their textbooks in Texas, you know, that's where some, you know, or you have people who were, it's like, the level of history that's taught you know we don't talk about the innovations that black inventors had or we don't talk about um you know what happened after slavery in terms of places like the county i live in um tulsa oklahoma wilmington delaware 
you know, all the different things that had happened where there were thriving black communities and then white mobs came because they either invented a crime or they overreacted to something that they wouldn't have reacted the same way to if it was a white person that was charged with a particular matter and then basically drove people out of those counties, if not killed them, usually both. And then the government took those lands and sold it to pennies on the dollar to the to the business people who were then were able to turn these into very wealthy areas or thriving areas without black people in them at all. And we don't learn about that or we don't learn about redlining. I have a, a colleague who, who was talking about that he was, he, the way he would say it was, I was a conservative pol um, poli political person and socially conservative until I read Tanisi's coat, um, Tanisi Coates' um, essays. And then his essays about redlining and what happened, and contract buying and everything that happened financially, basically between slavery and civil rights. And he was, I was like, I was blown away. I never learned that stuff. And he's my age, you know, and he grew up in New York and he was like, you know, because I'm so glad you said Long Island, the south of New York, because I mean, I think of I'll I'll say there's places in Pennsylvania that I think are the Mississippi of the Midwest, you, you know, and it's like there are pockets of places up north. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, which is one of the most segregated places in the United States. And most of the things I had to unlearn about racism came from me growing up in Cleveland, Ohio not from Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, living in Atlanta was where I unlearned most of the things that I that I had learned, you know, and didn't even know I had learned, you know, and that's, and I guess when you look at this, our society, we have so far to go because it's so deeply ingrained, you know, for, you know, the idea of, the idea of just, um, how you would interact with people is just so weird. And just in the fact that we're at a point where you guys understandably, Carrie, Chris, understandably, like, I don't want to have that conversation. Not unless, like, the person's willing to go this far. And the person needs to go that far. But the fact that so much of white America isn't in a position to be able to say, I know that I know there's a lot that I don't know. And I just want to hear how you feel about it. I want to know what I should learn, what I, where I should, what, sh what should I be reading about? What should I learn more about? What are your days like? What are you, things that you guys describe, Chris, what you described going to get a fucking sandwich, which, you know, I mean, you know, it's the same. I mean, I next tell me she came home, cash, went to cash a pay, um, went to get, go to the grocery store after she cashed her paycheck and went to the grocery store and they shortchanged her 20 bucks. And like the, the, the scene that ensued over her, over that was enough that, you know, you wouldn't stop thinking about that for a couple years, at least not on an, at least an everyday basis. And you, and white people are like, well, get over this thing. It's not that big of a deal. It was just one thing. And you're like, get over. you don't know what that it's, it's one thing that could happen at any moment. And I don't think white people understand that. It's just that it, it can happen at any moment. It may go, you may go three, six months and nothing happens, but it can happen at any moment. Yeah. yeah. That emotion part of it is so key that Carrie brought up because we can do all of the educational part of it and we have to. I don't want to minimize that. You know, you, you guys all know, I'll, I'll 
DM some links out in a heartbeat. Uh, <laughs> so the educational part is near and dear to my heart. But until there's that emotional connection that Carrie talked about, that human sort of level of feeling and compassion and empathy, it's almost like you're not ready to receive that that knowledge, right, about these things that have happened. Like, you'll take it and, yeah, I'll read it. And, you know, you'll get the things like, well, that was so long ago. And, you know, things really aren't like that anymore. You know, there'll, there'll be all of these sort of counters to whatever – you present, you know, any of the historic stuff. And like Chris said the other day, you know, you had to go back that far, go back to the, go back to the damn summer. You didn't have to go that far uh, to give examples. But still, until there's that emotional connection, it's like people just aren't ready to receive that. You know what I mean? And you talk about that, that, that lack of understanding. I remember my wife and I uh, going to Williamsburg, Virginia. We used to go like every other year, take the kids there or whatever. They got the whole colonial deal down there. And um, being the fool that I am, you can go on tours of like old plantations, right? And they have tour guides there and you go through different parts of the plantation. And one of these, you take a, part of the tours to the slave quarters, right? It's like a whole reenactment. They've even got like, you know, people reenacting slaves out there. Uh, fortunately, they were black or there could have been real problems. Uh, <laughs> at least they had black people playing the reenactments. <laughs> but so we had, we're in this group and the ladies there in the slave quarters, and she's showing everybody the dirt floor, and they had to, you know, eat, you know, whatever leftover scraps they could get, and they were out before the sun was up, and you know, back when the sun was down. So she asked the group. So, and then she said, you know, you can look over there, and you can see the the mansion, the big house, and there were another set of slaves that worked there. And she said, so if you had your choice, and slaves didn't, I want to say that slaves didn't, but if you had your choice, where do you think you would want to work, right, in the house or out here? This white lady is like, I probably want to be outside because you're in the sun and the fresh air and you're moving. <laughs> like, I'm going to slap the shit out of this. <laughs> and my wife is like, come on, come on. She like puts her arm around. She's like, let's just go. Let's do it. I was like, but the tour, and we paid. She's like, but the tour, I'm like, cool. She's like, no, no, come on. Let's go back to the car. Let's just go. <laughs> we just need to get in the car and we just need to go away from these people. But it was to your point, Matt, that I don't want to lump everybody together. I don't want to say all white people are like that, but there definitely is a lack of understanding of these layers that you talked about because that wasn't even like a, a like like a, a, a joke or a gag she she that was an honest feeling like well it's better to be outside in the sunshine yeah and the lady was like no no uh they were getting whipped and brutalized in other way i mean she she had to get real on her because i think she she even you know they're like in a character when they're doing that and i think she got so upset she even had to break character because she said well sometimes you were if you you know happen to have uh very young children or even infants you would be forced to bring them to the field there was nobody back there everybody had to come out and work so you had to bring them out to the field and leave them somewhere while you had to go work under a tree or something like that and like babies would be killed attacked by animals uh attacked by animals die of malnutrition or whatever or exposure she was like no this shit was real it was real and the lady was like oh oh my gosh their babies they just left their babies she had to get real because the lady didn't understand it so it's that it's that level of of lack of understanding that is happening with some folks and you got to be willing to be willing to receive that and until you're until you're willing to receive it i don't know that it can ever sink in or get in there well how would you how would you 
how would you think that, I mean, like I have my own thoughts on this matter, but I want to know what you guys think in terms of and feel about how does a white person need to be willing to receive that? Where do they need to be? Like, what are things that you would look at and you'd say, I know this person's ready to have an, a meaningful and honest conversation. Like what would be some like examples that you could draw with that, that would um, be, and I'm, you know, I don't know. I mean, I want to steer this, con go this anywhere anyone wants to go. So I, part of me feels like I'm steering the conversation sometimes, but I guess I'm just trying to, I, I know that I have an audience of people who will tend to ask me questions and they seem to be coming from, I know the difference between at least some of the time, I think enough of the time that, that people who are asking meaningful, sincere questions and people who just want to me to be their psychiatrist on their couch of my racist behavior, you, you know, um, cause I've certainly had some of that and I've told them they need, I've had, a, I had a school teacher once during George Floyd, write me this whole, like might as well been a confessional. And I was like, if you're teaching school and you live in this area and this is your family and this is where you've grown up and you, and you know what I've just shared about my life and you're going to talk to me, maybe you need to go get a therapist. Maybe you need to also take some classes. Maybe you need to get travel outside of your area. And maybe you need to understand that I'm not the person you need to talk to about this stuff. Um, because my first response is that if you're a teacher and this is how you feel, you're fucked up. Like, you, you know, and but there are people who aren't that way, you know, that they want to know, but maybe they don't understand how to get out of the way of themselves. And, but what are some things that they might need? You would need to see people show. What do you, you know, I mean, am I making any sense? And is what I asking worthwhile at all? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I definitely. Go ahead, Carrie. I was going to say, I got to defer to you guys anyway. Yeah. I, I don't even know what you would need to show. <laughs> so I think the first thing you would need to show or just to kind of um, establish is um, you don't have to prove to me that you're not racist, nor am I trying to tell you that you are racist. Right. We are right. just having a conversation. We are exchanging uh, feelings, emotions, thoughts. Um, just because I say something um, about the, the Black experience doesn't mean I'm pointing a finger at you and saying, hey, you personally do these things. You personally are racist. That's not what I'm saying. So for me to, to talk about my experience shouldn't be triggering to you. It should just be, hey, um, let me understand what it is you're going through and let me try to find some empathy to listen to you and um you know have a conversation about it and be open to what it is you're saying but you know don't don't take it upon yourself to like try to fight for the entire white race or you know whatever the case may be you know that's that's not what this is about so i think that would be the huge thing because i see that happen a lot and people just get so triggered and they get so defensive and it's just like, hey, I'm, I'm not calling you. Just, you know, I'm explaining to you what the black experience is about, what I go through on a day-to-day -day basis. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. That's, that's why he's got that life wisdom, man. <laughs> he, he just has it because if it's me, I'm like, look, if it offends you, it's meant to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, I would say, like, if, if a person really wants to to learn about it, I would say, you know, try to integrate yourself into a black community in a way, whether it's volunteering or just doing stuff around the community be around people because i could tell you you know till i turn blue in the face but for you to understand it you have to be in it and you have to be around these different kinds of people that you're not used to being around yeah because i got one story mike has another story carrie has another story so it's it's not just one person like you can't just go to one black person and say hey give me the inside school right like, that yeah. doesn't work that way. Like you got to be around it. You got to be around it. Like there's a like the neighborhood I grew up in is very close to an Italian neighborhood. So I'm very aware of how Italians act because I would have to be in that neighborhood to go to school. And there are Italians from that neighborhood that would have to come to my neighborhood and be around black people. So it's like everybody kind of knew how each other acted, and I feel like that's very very beneficial. To people because there was a whole influx of white people that came into my neighborhood and it was like young artistic types and a lot of these people they wanted they wanted to know about our culture and our neighborhood and you know that's perfectly fine but the problem is is when they trample over our culture and they try to take it over kind of like the black lives matter you know, movement that you see. You see a lot of young white people now wanting to take it and make it their own identity. And it's like, no, like, you know, you could be down with it, but it's still, this is still our shit. This is our fight still. Like, don't try to take this and be our knight in shining armor. Yeah. Like, like you got this, you know? I love, the, I love that you brought that subject up too, because racism isn't just a conservative thing. Racism is there's there are there are people on both sides of the political coin who also have that viewpoint. And it's an ingrained thing where it is. There are there are white people who think that, yeah, they're that they need to lead the way as opposed to recognize the fact that they're there to be supportive. Being supportive is one thing, you know, but and we've seen that with you see it with. The women's movement. I mean, you've seen it with, you know, with Dr. Martin Luther King and with, you know, a lot of what he started and how the workplace kind of adapted to that to a degree. But then you saw that as kind of, you know, suddenly women were made, you know, designated as minorities. And you see that it, that from a women's movement standpoint, a lot of it's white women and white women and what comes first for them. At least that's how my wife would describe a lot of this and from what she's seen with this. And you can see some of where, how certain movements get taken over where white people kind of start trying to lead the way, but then what the true meaning uh, and, and designs for what happened, it's like, well, they're getting theirs or they're getting theirs out of the deal. But I mean, I love... Gary and Chris, what you guys both said about, you know, in terms of you, if you're white, you can't be, 
you can't be defensive about or worried about whether someone's going to call you racist or not. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, if that's what you're worried about with this conversation, then you're not really going to get to know people. And Chris, I love your thought about, you know, getting involved in black communities. Like you can take the simplest thing I've seen is I had a, my wife had a coworker who would literally every couple of weeks, he'd take his kids to a park that was in a, in a black neighborhood so that his kids would play with other black kids and that they would get, or that they would do leagues where he would travel to where they lived in a neighborhood with black kids so that the kids would interact and become, have friends. And then the friends could come over his house and he'd get to know the parents and they could, you know, have interactions that way over the course of time so that he was, he, they were all exposing themselves to differences and i think that as you do that you start to realize when you start to get to know a different community of people based on race or where they come from or what religion they are that you start to you start to understand that there are everyone there's differences it's just like no one's gonna i mean if you're white and you're listening to this no one's gonna ask you like well, all white people are the same. No, there's all sorts of different white people. Some of them you can't stand. Some of them you love. Some of them you like okay. Some of them you just don't know what it's going to be like from day to day, whatever. You know, it's, and it's the same if you're black. It's same whatever race you are. It's, and you start to see the similarities there in that there's differences, you know, and that the, and that it's okay to like respect differences and to, and that you actually get value from those differences. You know, and, and, but I do think that we, as I think there are a lot of white people that feel like that they're, that they are saving and there is a savior. I, I think there's a bit of, there's a savior mentality on the left in, in terms of politics. I'm kind of a, a believer of that in some regards, whereas on the right side, there's a, there's a side of, we just don't want anything to do with you. Um, and that's, and I think that where we see with white people is that the, the people who want to be, who don't want to be racist, sometimes just need to understand that it's in an, this country, it's inherent. There's inherent racism in the, built into the structures of this country. And you have to unlearn those things. And, but the way to start is to be open and to ask and, and to, and to get to know people and and part of that is to be vulnerable and to say i i don't know these things i'm trying to learn these things i'm going to say some stupid shit possibly as i'm trying to ask questions but i'm trying to come from a place where i learn so correct me and i'm not i'm going to try my best not to be defensive about it if you're in a place where you can be aware of your defensiveness and be aware of be aware of the fact that you might get defensive and that you can tell someone that and you can say, I might get uptight when you tell me something and I may not realize it until we're midway through the conversation. Um, but you can sit back and think about it and come back the next day or the next week and say, look, man, I know we were talking about this and I got <laughs> defensive about it. I realized that I got uptight about this. I'm sorry, you know, I, but I, if you don't mind, can we continue to have some of these conversations? Cause I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning something. I'm getting value out of it. I think that's an important part of, of that because there is so much as everything that like the three of you guys have described. And I know I could 
share things. And I've shared things in my blog this summer about things that I've experienced and my wife's experience that, you know, there's so much of that, that it's, it's easy to feel gaslit every day in this country. And, and I think that there's a lot of times where white people don't even realize the depths that they're gaslighting, that their behavior is gaslighting, that their defensiveness is a form of gaslighting, you know, if in that sense. So I don't know. I, I feel like I'm rambling a lot in this in this conversation, no, but I'm trying to rambling. find. You're I'm, not rambling. I think that emotion, that that part that you talked about there, about where you have that conversation and um, you, you you try not to to feel defensive, but you know you might feel it, and it can happen on either side. I know that's one thing um, that I have with somebody who I really respect. Um, you know, we certainly don't agree uh, on a lot of stuff that we talk about, but I respect it because we have those conversations. And it gets intense and it gets heated and it gets defensive. Right. And it's like it's like watching a roller coaster. The conversation you can like visually see it's like going up and down and up and down. And then sometimes it 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 just gets it like peaks uh, in terms of that that defensiveness and that intensity. And we got to just like end it. Right. And the other times we're kind of able to bring it back down within the same conversation and, and we kind of end you know, on, on kind of a, a more, you know, amicable note, but sometimes we don't sometimes it's like, you know what, I'm done, man. I can't, I can't talk to you no more today, but we always come back, right. Yeah. We always come back to it. And I think that's the part um, that I, I really try to embrace is like, it's okay. Right. It's okay. It's not always going to be kumbaya and we agree with it. And I agree with everything you say and you agree with everything I say. Those conversations aren't always going to be that way, but that emotion that Carrie talked about, that comes through in the conversations that I have with this person, right? You can feel it on both sides. Um, and I think that that is okay. You can't be afraid of that, right? There's going to yeah. be confrontation. There's going to be awkwardness and uneasiness. It's not going to feel comfortable yeah. a lot of the times. But as long as you can continue to have the conversation and keep it respectful, right? It get, Like I said, it gets intense, but we don't ever you know, get disrespectful towards one another. Yeah, um, we just disagree and we disagree passionately about some things, right? Where if I could reach through the computer and, and get my hands around his neck, I would do it. He might feel the same way, <laughs> but but that that's okay. That's okay because I mean you're working through these things and it's it's a relationship, and that happens in relationships sometimes. And you know, to me, the key is what you said. Just don't when it happens, don't just cut it off yeah. for like permanently. Yeah, You know, you might need to cut it off for that day or whatever, or even for a couple of days, but don't cut it off permanently. And, and I think maybe also understanding that if you're white, you might get tested a little bit. And I don't mean tested in like the debate or conversation because it's going to test your vulnerability to to be able to understand that, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, as Carrie said, you know, it's like, you know, you're not going to get blamed for the country's racism, you, you know, and if you're taking it that way, that's you kind of, having to test your own sense of understanding about all of this but understand too that if that there's plenty of reason I, there's plenty of reason in this world if you just look around as each of the three of you've said that why it would be hard to trust white people and what their behavior at first and i know from my experiences just interact i mean i had a teacher who i spent I had a geometry teacher and i know that mr stinson is not listening right now but if for some reason he he were you know, I'd thank him and, and tell him I've learned I learned so much in high school from him 
just about as in just getting to know him and the, how he worked with me and how he would just have conversations with me after school about this topic. Um, and, you know, one of the, but I remember just being a music student and wanting to play the saxophone and I was interested in jazz and, you know, that was that I ended up studying some of that for a couple of years in school. Um, but I, you know, I want to take lessons and most saxophonists, most saxophonists in public school get taught by a clarinet player, which basically means they don't know shit about the saxophone because they don't really get taught the right way of how to play. It's like basically, it's like basically Tim Tebow teaching you how to throw the football. Okay. I mean, that's basically for, so you have to unlearn a lot of shit and then relearn it. So like the people who are fortunate are folks who actually get taught by saxophonists. So by the time I was like in high school, you know, I was a I was an all state saxophonist in high school, um, which I thought meant something, but you know, obviously didn't mean shit when I decided I want to try and be a professional. But I, you know, I had some opportunities where I had a I had a teacher, um, a teacher's assistant who was black, who was like, you want it, who was a trumpet player and gigged around, and he was like, you're pretty good for a high school player. You need there's some things you need to learn. I think that would be helpful to you, and I know some teachers if you're interested. And I said, yeah, sure. So there's a teacher who taught at Morehouse and he was like, and I lived in the north part of Atlanta, which was mostly white neighborhood, probably about an hour away from um, Morehouse. And so he was like, you know, if you wanted, if you want him to take some lessons from him, you know, this is a guy that used to play up in New York and he's, you know, a terrific player and all this stuff. And, you know, you, you can take the lessons with him. I was like, okay, yeah, get in touch with him. That'd be great. And so he said, okay, well, he said, I'll meet with you um, at Morehouse, um, you know, on Saturday. So I was like, okay, sure. You know, I, I remember driving down to Morehouse and getting on campus and walking around. And it hit me that he was kind of testing me to see if I wanted to go there being a white kid from North Atlanta and I came down and, you know, I'm looking around and everyone's kind of looking at me like, are you lost a little bit? And a little bit of that was going on. And then, and then I go into the, I go into the music building that's there and I start walking down the hall and I'm not even like 20 yards away. Like I'm in an empty hallway and I don't even get within 20 yards of the dude who pops out of the classroom and looks at me and he goes, are you Matt? And, I, and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you, you know, Mr. Smith said that if you want him, if you, um, that if you showed up for the lesson, um, to come meet him at his house, he lives in Forest Park. And Forest Park was another 30 minutes south of, of Morehouse. So then I drove to his house and showed up there and he was like, oh, good to see you. And, you know, and, and we had, had our thing. And the part of me at first was kind of like, and again, I'm 17 years old. I don't know shit, but like I'm part of me was kind of pissed off that I like, I had to drive an hour and, and some odd change to Morehouse to show up for a lesson. And then he's like, come to my house and I got to drive another 30, 45 minutes to his place. I'm like, this is, this is a fiasco in itself. And then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I get it. Okay. I, I think I get it. And I went and asked my teacher too. I was like, so this one, he goes, yeah, he was testing you. He wanted to make sure you didn't, that, that you actually wanted to do this and you weren't wasting his time. He goes, cause he's probably had people waste his time. The whole thing was kind of a test, you know, but I get it. I've looked at, I'm going, well, yeah, I'm going to be tested sometimes to see whether my intentions are true. 
whether or not I'm aware, self-aware enough, whether I'm not so privileged in how I act about how I expect people to be a little bit that I'm going to be. But some of that too was that I was white, you know, part of that is that, you know, am I going to, am I, do I really mean what I say? You know, am I going to be a waste of their time or not? And I think that as a white person, you need to understand that, that a lot of time gets wasted and a lot of dumb shit has been said that you've seen enough, that you've probably seen enough of that, that you might have to go the extra mile to be just like, to show your vulnerability and understanding, not to get taken advantage of, but you should know the difference of when you're about to get taken advantage of by someone you know, and someone, if you're asking someone to hang out, you probably know them well enough that you know that, you know, that you think the guy's a good guy to be able to have a conversation with. Yeah. And we talked about it earlier. It's trust. It goes back to that trust issue and mistrust, the mistrust issue where, you know, there's all of this historic mistrust and distrust that's been built up. So when you do have those engagements, you are on the defensive you know, kind of right off the jump because you're like, well, I don't know, man. I mean, he's going to have to show me something before I, you know, before I really open up or really, you know, commit or invest, you know, my time. Because like you said, everybody's time is valuable. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's not even just about the value of your time. Sometimes, you know, people have, have you know, done things to wrong you, you know, because yeah. you did let them in. You know, you did kind of open up and did kind of extend yourself. And then you got hurt in some kind of way or taken advantage of in some kind of way. And, you know, that's that's that human nature element, too. Right. Where we all have that. Like we're talking about the racial thing, but there everybody has that uh, that inherent bias element of, look, you do something to hurt me or, you know, I have some kind of negative experience and you happen to be white. Yeah, that my inherent bias now is like every time I deal with a white person, I'm going to be on the lookout thinking, well, look, that last one got me like that. And you can say, well, we got to deal with each other as individuals. That sounds great, right? I mean, we all would like to think of ourselves that way. But that's just not the reality. So that's just on a one-to-one -one level, right? You can form that kind of bias against a group. Hell, hell my yeah. God. Yeah. To the historic that we all know have happened in this country yeah. that's already happened. So now all of that is already at play. There's people my wife has worked with that, I mean, I'd be, I gotta be honest with you. I mean, after some of the experiences my wife has had in her past jobs, there's people, there's people right now that like, if I saw them, they would not want to see me. Like that would, it's pretty clear that, that I would, that I would, feel that way about them. And honestly, whenever she is at a job, I'm thinking what stupid shit is some white person going to do? You know, I have, I have, I've developed some of those things where it's like, because you're, you've seen the pain that someone you care about goes through and you see how it, how they react to that. And it's like, if another dumbass white woman does this, I'm going to lose my mind. And I know that not all white women are that way, you know, but there's a part of me that, I I've seen that, or if the, you know, or I see this guy and he looks scared to death of my wife, like some old man who like just looks scared every interaction that he has with her, you know, or even just ignorant stuff where you thought that that person was going to be okay and going to be someone you could trust in a work situation. 
and then they turn around and they're not that way at all. I mean, there's there's some people I've told my wife, I'm like, if I see them, if I ever see them in public, I'm just telling you, you may get a phone call from them because someone's someone probably got hit. Like somebody probably got, got hit or at least me telling them what I wanted to go up into the office and do to them in, in that workplace, you know? And that's that's just that's just from someone who wasn't born having to deal with this throughout my childhood, just as someone who's who's basically become part of a family and and had, having seen that. So if you can't see that, if you're not a you know, and I think that's why like I, I almost laugh because I think that like some of these white supremacists actually have a, a great reason why they're afraid of like the things they're afraid of, which is they make the reason of like the whole idea of the quote, their fear of the browning of America, because they're because what they what they've gotten to the core of is that they're starting to does that they on some level, ignorant or not, somehow understand the fact that 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 when you actually become family with people who have different color skin than you or come from a different culture than you, you become empathetic. You become more understanding. Your family by extension does like more often than not. Like they may, my, you know, my parents or extended family may not be, um, may not themselves be in an intimate relationship with a person, but they see a baby and they suddenly see my features and my wife's features and they see their features in that baby and that baby's personality next thing you know that that shit melts away pretty quickly and so i can see in that sort of absurd sort of rationale that they that they have and that doesn't even mean that it needs to be that way you know it doesn't have to get to the point of whether that we all need to intermarry and their fear of that happening you know but i mean it's just the idea that that they that they accidentally see that the more people who actually do that the more people start to break down those barriers and you don't have to go that far you just become friends with someone if you actually are friends with someone and they're someone you'd ride or die with because they're your friend you're going to eventually see those things are going to melt away you're going to you're going to see that but it takes like what chris said or what carrie said or what mike said the conflict you know, it takes a chance to have some conflict to go through that a little bit and say, we're still alive. We're still here. We can still talk to each other. It's okay that Chris got angry with me because I said something stupid. Or it's okay that I got angry with Chris because he said something stupid. And we and we talked through it. And now we understand each other. And maybe we also have learned something from each other. And you And that bond gets tighter. You know, that, that bond gets tighter that way. You can't have a bond get tighter until you do that. And I find, I mean, it's not all true. I mean, I've met, I, some of, most of my good friends are very, are very direct people, white or black, you know, but I definitely find that as you get to, as you get to know people, you'll find that you're going to find people to have a lot of similarities to you in terms of the things that you like and the differences you'll appreciate. That's what friends do too. That's what friends do. All friends. That's what, that's what families yeah. do. You're gonna have disagreements. You're gonna have arguments. You're gonna get at each other's throats at times, right? Mm-hmm. But the love and the respect is still always there. It's just that's that's how it goes. Like I said, it comes back to relationships, and that that's just a part 
of being in a relationship with somebody. It's not always going to be smooth sailing and we are on the same page and total agreement about every single thing. And we see the world the exact same way in every situation. But it's that fear of that conflict that I think is the wedge that gets driven between a lot of these opportunities to have these conversations is, well, I don't, I don't want to engage in that. I don't want to deal with that. Or I don't want to hear, you know, certain things or back to Carrie's point, I don't want to be made to feel like, you know, this is all my fault. And like you said, man, nobody's making you feel that way. If you feel that way, then you got some things you gotta, you gotta address and deal with within yourself. Nobody's trying to put that on you. Uh, But if having that conversation makes you feel that way, well, then you've got some things that you need to look at. Um, but yeah, trying to, you know, if, if your if your goal is or if your your approach is, why well, don't I, I don't want to have any of that happen. I want it to just be smooth sailing, you know, total agreement in the conversation. Yeah. It's, 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 we there's no point. There's yeah. no point in having that conversation because it's not going to be real. Yeah, yeah. 